Amen. Thank you, Alvin. Thank you, Ensemble. Yeah, we just sang a song uh, talking about uh, that, that everything might come and go, but, but who we know God to be in Christ is what stands forever. We sang kings and kingdoms will all pass away. And I know that sometimes when we're in the, this Old Testament series in 1 Samuel, it might seem like, man, we're looking at this stuff that a lot of it I have a, I have a hard time connecting to today because a lot of it has passed away and under the new covenant that we know in Christ, and, and that's true. Uh, but there are, there are truths in these passages uh, that, that still are applied to us today. And so uh, that, that's our goal is as we look at it and we say, well, we know that, that things aren't like they were in the Old Testament, but we also know that, that who we know in Christ uh, we can look at those things and see truth in them because we, we worship the same God, even though even though we may not always understand or, or see God like we know him in Christ in those Old Testament passages. And today we're looking, we just talked about how Samuel last week, Samuel anointed Saul as king. And, and that in and of itself is a time, one, one time in the life of Israel is passing away. And another time is coming into existence. It's going from the time of the judges to the time of the monarchy and the life of Israel. And, and so we see that even in the Old Testament time, one time to another. And so as, as we think about that, you think about Samuel anointing Saul as king, uh, knowing that, that God had told him as he's doing this, uh, there's going to be some difficult days ahead. This was not originally what God wanted. And so you imagine the difficulty that Samuel uh, has to face moving forward from that point because the task that he had spent his life tending to, serving God, caring about what God cared about, he just kind of had the rug pulled out from under him and, and he realized that it, it wasn't shared, not even not only by his own sons, but by the people that he was serving as, as a whole. But Samuel decided, as we'll see in today's text, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 9, beginning in verse 15. Samuel chose to be concerned about the present moment and, and what God was doing, even in a time that he knew that, that things were going to be difficult. And, and I think the thing that astounds me when what we'll read is, is, is that we know the rest of the story. We know what kind of leader Saul ends up being. But for this moment, for this moment, this passage places an incredible amount of importance in what's going on. It, it places an incredible amount of, of I'd even say, hope and, and possibility. And, and, and I think when we read it, we, we think, oh, well, there's, there's no hope there because we know what Saul's ultimately going to do. But I think for that moment, God looked at Saul and he, he saw something. And that's what we're going to talk about. You know, uh, Michelle and I are going to go and we're going to visit some of, of my family towards the end of, of this coming week. And, and you, do you have those people in your life who they were they were friends for, for a certain time and you still count them as friends? But when you get together, pretty much the things that you talk about have to do with a time that's passed away, you know, an, an older time because you don't really see them throughout your everyday life. And so so you enjoy getting together with them. But but you kind of what you have in common is is is, is what's already been. I have a friend that, that's recently contacted me, and I think we're going to try and get together. And I, I know how those meetings go, though. The first 10, 15 minutes you get together, and you just sort of spill everything that's new in your life. 
you know, because it's they, they don't know. You're, you're catching up with one another, and it's, it's fun to do that. But then after you get through that first 10 to 15 minutes, you kind of run out of stuff to say, don't you? And because you haven't been really living life together, you don't have a lot of shared experiences to, to talk about what's going on in the moment. And so you have two choices. You can either say, well, talk to you later. See you next time, you know, a year or two down the road. Or you can talk about the past, right? And that's usually what you end up doing. And that's not a bad thing. That's just the way it is. And those, how, those are how some relationships work in our life. And then think about how you relate to, to some of the professional people in your life. Maybe your doctor or your mechanic or, or people that you just have a professional relationship with. You go to them based on something that, that's been happening kind of in the past. You go to your doctor, they're going to say, well, have you been eating right? Have you been taking your medicine? Have you been exercising? They're going to ask you, have you been doing all this stuff in you know, the, the, the close past and, and present? And you're going to say yes or no. And, and if there's something wrong, you're going to talk about what that acute problem is. And then they're going to make a diagnosis. And then they're going to make a recommendation. And, and they may give you a prescription. And you're going to take that. And they're going to say, either follow up with me. Or if something doesn't change in the future, then you need to come back. And so you have these professional relationships, whether it's a doctor or a mechanic or a CPA or whatever, and it's based on what has been happening and then what will happen, right? And as much as I love my friend that I'm going to visit with and talk about the past, I realize that he's not involved in the everyday ebb and flow of my life. And as much as I love my doctor, I, I recognize that, that she's only a part of my life Intermittently, She's not a part of the everyday present of what I go through. But we kind of treat God like those two relationships sometimes. Either he's this person that we go to, to to talk about how things didn't go like we wanted to. Or to talk about, well God, why didn't you make this happen or that happen? Or he's this person that we go to and we say... Well, God, I really sure would like it if you had fixed this in my life. And so it's based on what has happened or what will happen. But when we turn to 1 Samuel today, and I think Scripture as a whole pictures God as someone that wants to be in the everyday ebb and flow present of our life. That's how it's portrayed in, in, the, portrayed in the Bible. And so when we look at 1 Samuel, we're going to see... Uh, how God is involved in this very important moment as Saul has been anointed, as being anointed king and, and what's going to happen as a result. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9 and I will begin verse 15 and it's on your screen. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place. For today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way, 
and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, But I am not a Benjamite from the small but I am not a Benjamite. Am I not, excuse me, a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about thirty in number. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, Here is what has been kept for you. Eat, because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. When we consider what God is doing in the life of Saul and the life of Israel, you have to account for what is going on right and present. In his book, God of the Possible, Greg Boyd says that it takes a greater God to steer a world populated with free agents than it does to steer a world of pre-programmed automations. And that's just a fancy quote saying, we're not robots, right? And God allows us to make decisions. And man, how great of a God is it for a God to steer what's happening in our world and also allow us to make decisions? And I affirm that. I affirm that God gives us that Free will, And I think the life of Saul in and of itself is a demonstration of that. And so when we look at, at what we just read, uh, we, we, look, we have to affirm that the only way God is available to us is right now in the present. And so focusing on the present attunes us to what is immediately important to God. I don't have points, but that, if I don't have outline on your sermon, but that would be the first one if, you're, if you try to take notes. When we, when we tune ourselves to what's going on right now, we, we, we're aware, or we can be aware, if we make ourselves available to it, to what, what is most important to God in our lives. I read a story about a Methodist pastor named Philip Johnson. and uh, Some of you are aware how the Methodists kind of, even, even today, especially in some of the smaller communities, they will put ministers over several churches. If they're too small to, to pay a minister, they will go to several churches. And, and in the old days, they would call them circuit riders. And so this tradition has sort of been handed down uh, in their denomination. And uh, in 1969, Philip Johnson was, was called. He had just graduated Divinity School and, and, uh, or, or seminary. And, and he was assigned. They, they assigned their ministers, or not like Baptists. They assigned their ministers to one large church in 10, can you believe it, 10 small churches. I don't know what I would do. Uh, and and this, was, this was on the northern coast of Newfoundland, Canada. And so on the first day of his, of his sort of circuit where he's going to the, the different churches, he discovers, and I can't imagine because I don't, I'm horrible at directions, so he didn't have, this was even before the days of like Google Maps, you know, much less a GPS but he discovers that the smallest church he'd have to go to, he'd have to travel 40 miles on a snowmobile and get to this tiny little fishing village. And he gets there and, and, and he discovers that one person has come to church. And, and he, he thought for a moment and he, he said, well, maybe, maybe I'll just say a prayer and call it a day. 
when he was tired, he was worn out, and this was the first sort of exposure to, to his new ministry. Uh, but then, you know, he, he felt, well, I've, I've come all this way. And, and then he found out the person that had showed up for church had actually come uh, about 20 miles. And so between them both, they both traveled 60 miles to get all the way out there. And he goes, well, come all the way this way and I'll have to leave. And he will too. So, so we're going to make it worthwhile. And he conducted a service. And, and you know, like, like there were hundreds of people there. And they had scripture readings and they had prayers. And he even served the Lord's Supper. But he writes in his journal, he says, in the middle of the sermon, you know, I don't know, this is sort of, a, I'll take an aside here. When preachers preach a sermon, you know, you, you look at a lot of people and the people that look at you, you look at them back because they kind of give you energy. And then some people don't look at you and it's not because they don't like you. Just people process sermons differently. That's one thing a mentor of mine said, you know, don't take it offensively if someone looks away or looks this way or even if they fall asleep. Some people fall asleep even if Billy Graham's talking to them. But he has one person to preach to. And I can't imagine if I just had one person to preach to the whole time. It would be kind of weird and awkward, you know. And he says, I'm preaching to the one person. They're, they have their head down. And I just felt like, man, I, all this was for nothing. And he says he gets to the end of the service. And he's telling the person, you know, goodbye. And, and come to find out that was this person's first time to go to church in over 20 years. And he said, I needed to be here this day. And, and he recommitted his life to the Christian faith. And, and, and I don't know what happened to him after that. And, and neither does, does Johnson. But he says, man, for that one person, that one person was why I was there. Of all the other things he was concerned about, that one person that was present in that moment. You know, in spite of Israel's disobedience and in spite of God's concession to give them a king. We read about a moment where, where God says, you know, instead of throwing his hands up and saying, you know, the people have made a decision that I don't support. Instead of saying, well, they can just have whoever they want as a king. We have this moment where God is very specific and he says, this is who I want to be the king. And this is how, Samuel, you're going to go about anointing the king. And it's hard for us to read the story and not jump to the conclusion and say, well, I know that Saul ends up being this kind of egotistical guy who's focused on himself and, and can't see past you know, his own ego. It's, it's hard not to read that into this moment. But, but for God, it was more important to have this moment than to not. In verse 16, God says to Samuel when, when he's telling him to anoint him, he says, anoint him ruler over my people. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people for their cry has reached me. Does that sound familiar? God looks on his people. Their cry has reached him. It's the same sort of thing that we read back at the Exodus. When, when Moses is, is raised up to be a great leader. God is still listening to his people. He's still raising a leader up. And in this moment, it didn't matter that having a king would make things more complicated for Israel. It didn't matter in this moment that really God would have preferred to do it a different way. What mattered was that God was doing something on behalf of his people. And, and as, as God inspired the author to write 1 Samuel, he found it important for him to note that that Saul was the person God chose to do this and that he was important. The present right now is, is of profound importance. I think one of the biggest struggles that, that I know pastors feel and, and worship leaders is, is helping people just to be present when we come to church. 
You know, I prayed this morning, I prayed that we'd be able to lay aside all the things that kind of go through through our minds because I'm just like a person too. I, I, I'm, I, you know, if I was preaching, I'd be sitting in the pew. My mind would wonder sometimes and depending on what kind of argument you had with your family, what, what it took you to get here, depending on what kind of personal things that's, that you're dealing with, medical problems and uh, just personal issues, depending on all that, when you, when you come to church, you bring all that with you. And I think one of the biggest struggles that, that, that pastors hope that people can get through is, is just sitting that stuff down for a moment. Just being present to God for a minute. Because if Saul's presence was important to God, who we ultimately know did prove disobedient, how much more is, is it right now for people, for, for Christians that are striving to be pleasing to God, to say, God, I'm, I'm here. Even, even if just for an hour today, I'm here and I'm at church. What, what do you want to say to me? Or, or what do you want to say to God? Yesterday, Luke, Luke, Luke is, is learning that he can talk to God. And he said, I can say anything to God I want. And I said, yes, you sure can. I was wanting to encourage him in that. And I said, well, what do you want to say to him? And he said, thank you for Halloween. <laughs> and I guess that's fair enough. You know, at least he said something to God. We pause for a moment. Consider that. What is immediately, what's important to God right now in our lives? And it doesn't take too much to make the jump from, from the things that, that God would find important to, to what God thinks of us, to, to ourselves. And we focus on the present we attune ourselves to who God knows us to be right now in this moment. Some students at a university in New York set up this chalkboard as part of a sociology experiment. And they wrote at the top that they put a, a bunch of, you know, some sidewalk chalk near it. And they wrote at the top, what is your biggest regret? It's a huge chalkboard and they set up a camera to monitor people. And they were surprised not only at how fast people sort of flocked to it, this busy street corner, but, but what people actually wrote and were willing to admit was their biggest regret on this chalkboard. And, and they wrote things like burning bridges and never speaking up, not being a good husband, not spending time with family, not saying I love you, not applying to medical school, not making the most of every day, not being a better friend. And they said that the thing that, that also surprised them about their regrets were that 90% of the things that people wrote, roughly 90%, were things that involved not doing something. Not saying something, not taking a chance, not pursuing something. And then they, they went and they, they wrote, they erased that, and they wrote to those same people. They, they took them aside and explained to them you know, what they were doing. And, and they gave them a chance to, they wrote clean slate on the board. And they gave them a chance to erase that. And, and people did that. And, and one lady, as she was erasing her biggest regret, had tears streaming down her eyes. And they asked her what, what was causing that. What, why, why, was, why was she having an emotional reaction? And she said, she goes, says, it just feels like, uh, as I erase it, that there are possibilities. That there's hope as I do this. And I think as Samuel identifies himself as, as the seer, that's, that's literally a word that tells us that he sees into Saul. He sees who he is in that moment in verse 18. He says, I'm going to tell you in verse 19, all that is in your heart. That's what he tells Saul. 
And that's a significant moment for him. I think it's telling for us because Saul has not yet become this person who we'll read about later in verse 15, where in, in chapter 15, excuse me, that God says, I regret that I've made Saul king of Israel. He's not yet become that person who is disobedient and, and, and self-centered and focused. And I think because at that moment, as, as Samuel looks into his heart, it's, it's not there. That's, who he, who, that's not who he is in that present moment. And Saul's response as he anoints him is, is very similar to that of, of Moses. Remember what Moses said? I don't, I don't know what to say, God. I don't, I don't know if I can be who you're calling me to be. And he has sort of this humble sort of outlook at first, doesn't he? He, he says, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm, I'm a Benjamite. How can I be who you're calling me to be? And there's some humility there. Now, humility is worthwhile. Humility is worthwhile to the degree that it allows us to see ourselves as God sees ourselves. Right? Humility is good if it helps us to see ourselves accurately. It's not good. And I'm not even sure it's really humility if it leads us to see ourselves in a way that God does not see us. And, and, and I think at this moment that Saul's sort of on the line there. And, and this is reading into the text. I'm going to admit that. This is not in the Bible necessarily. But, but what if Saul's future problems come because he struggles to believe who Samuel tells him that he is in this moment? That he really can be the king. He really has what it takes in that moment to be who God wants him to be. In the book I mentioned earlier, Greg Boyd says something else. He says, the God of the possible is a God who can work with us to truly change what might have been into what should be. In other words, the present really makes a difference. In other words, why was Saul anointed? What did Samuel see in his heart that, that made him say, you, you are the person that God has called to be the king. You're, you're worthy of that. And why was God grieved when after trying to work with Saul, he seems unable to change what could have been into what should be? And so the even more intimate and personal thing than asking God to tell us what's important to you in my life is to ask God, who do you see? When you look at me, not who am I based on my failures or who am I based on the things that I regret? Not who am I based on on the disappointments and and maybe just the general the general idea that other people have of me. But but who am I when when you look at me based on who you know me to be? I think the reason that many of us fail sometimes to to be to reach our full potential is because, because we fail to really ask God that question. We fail to really look inwardly, not only at ourselves, but allow God to, to take that moment because it involves us being vulnerable, doesn't it? It involves some, some introspection on our part. If you're bold enough to seek what is important to God and to ask God what He knows about you now, God can use the present that is so important. God uses that present. Not only now, but he uses it through our future as well. Experiences that give us, right now, give us strength for the future to be the person that God wants us to be. I had an experience in high school where uh, a Sunday school teacher that I really cared about 
called me and he, he says, I want you to, to come to my house. And, and I was about to graduate and I was going to go to college. And, and I may have shared this with you before, but, but I was just nervous because this was someone I looked up to. And he didn't tell me what he wanted. He just told me he wanted me to come over. And I thought, well, okay, hopefully he doesn't know anything bad that I did. He was, uh, it just so happened that, that I was best friends with his son. And so, you know, maybe he did find something else, something out about me. I didn't really know. And so I came over and he asked me to sit down and he leaves the room. And that was a scary part because I thought, is he going to come back with a baseball bat or proof of whatever claim he's going to you know, label me with? And he comes back with a bowl of water and, and basically just a wash rack. And he tells me to take off my shoes. And he proceeds to wash my feet in, in, in a similar way that Jesus did his disciples. He didn't say anything. It was you know, about a minute and a half, but not very long, but it just felt like eternity. He didn't say anything while he was doing that. And then he finishes, and, and he, he prays this prayer of blessing on me, affirming that he, he sees God at work in my life right then, and that he thought God was, was going to use me. And, and I've gone back to that moment so many times in my life. I remember going back to that moment when I worked in youth ministry for a summer, EJ, and thought, I don't know if I want to do church work ever again. <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but seriously, I, I was questioning if I was really called. And, and I went back to that moment. I went back to that moment when I preached my first sermon that lasted about seven minutes and was mostly plagiarized. <laughs> I went back to that moment in college when, when my roommate who took a preaching class with me, got selected to preach in chapel instead of, instead of me, when I clearly was the better preacher. And that present moment has borne, has borne fruit in my life up to today. I think Saul had a similar experience following Samuel's message to him when he was invited as, as a guest of honor. Samuel tells us the cook had to bring, brought out this piece of meat and it's the thigh. And Leviticus chapter 7 says, says, it talks about the thigh being reserved for the priest. Samuel's supposed to be the priest. And what he's doing, he's saying something very important in this moment as he offers it to Saul. He is, he's saying, not only are you taking my place, not only are you having authority in place of me, but you're having a unique kind of authority in the life of Israel that has not existed up to this point. That involves not only kingly administration, but also is, is of spiritual significance. He says it was set aside, verse 24, it was set aside for you for this occasion. And I think Saul could have gone back to this moment later when, 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 when he struggled after. You remember David, David slew Goliath. And, and people were saying, Saul, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands, right? And I think, what if he would have gone back to this moment? What if he would have gone back to this time when he said, this, this is who you are to God? I mean, I admit that you're just, just conjecture. But I think he had that opportunity. I think he had that moment. You know, as parents, we try and raise our kids in the moment because of who we can help them be in the future. I, I read a story about a lady who was uh, just giving her, her, her son a bath. And, and as uh, she picked him up, she was drying him off and she had him on her lap. And, and she said, Isaac, you're getting so big. Well, what am I going to do with you when, when you get even bigger? 
And he says, well, then you can sit on my lap, mommy. And that's very different from what I think Luke would, would say to me. Because I, I, you, parents say that to kids. You know, you're getting so big. I said to Luke one day, you're getting so big. What, what are you going to do when, when you're grown up? Well, I'll just live in the house with you, Dad. <laughs> of course, a realistic response in both those situations is that that's sweet. But we want our kids to, to get big and to grow up and to be their own person. And to get married and have jobs and to be successful. And that's why we try in the present moment not to mess up too bad as parents, right? So, so in the future, they'll take that experience and it'll bear fruit in their lives. And in regards to our priorities and to our identity and what will become, what God is doing right now in the present is important. Now, we spend a lot of time thinking about the past, regretting the past and, and planning for the future. And that's important, planning for the future. But it's in the present moments, in the moments where we intentionally open Scripture, in the moments when we go to church and we open ourselves to what God is saying to us, in the moments that we tend to our prayer lives, in the moments that we try and bless our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and nephews, it's in those moments where God is and can be at work. If we open ourselves to Him, if we open other people in our lives to Him. The book of Hebrews tells us, encourage one another today as long as it is called today. I think the point is, the only way we know God is right now. As His availability to us right now in the present. And if we fail to pay attention to that because we're too busy or there's too many activities or because we are too focused on the future... We could miss out on what God has placed in our hearts for the present moment we find ourselves in. So I invite you, in this moment, right now, not, not in the way you would like it to have been and not in what it might be, but in this present moment, to ask God what He has for you right now. Just wherever you're at. Pray with me. God, that's one of the amazing truths of Scripture, is that you're present. But unfortunately, sometimes we, we treat that like it's just a comforting thought that doesn't make much of a difference. We talk about how it's easier to see you in our lives when we look back, and it is sometimes. But, but often we just don't look for you in the present. We just take every day as it comes and uh, focus on ourselves and focus on getting through it. Would you help us, God, just to stop just for a moment today and examine our lives and, and, and be open to you, to your leadership, to your guidance, to your conviction, to your encouragement, to your comfort. God, would you minister to us in only the way that you can through your Holy Spirit. Amen.